Hey folks, welcome to another podcast. In this one, I'd like to take you through some goal setting and behavior change stuff. So this stuff actually comes out of some material that I have for all of my clients. I have a module where they go through and do some worksheets and I have a bunch of videos explaining how to set goals, how to change your behaviors, that kind of thing. It's actually based quite a lot on a book by Melissa Davis, which is called Evidence-Based Habit Building. So you can pick up that ebook if you wanna learn a little bit more. But uh, I'm gonna go through some stuff that I use and see if you get something out of it. If you do, please let me know and I'd love it if you would share it or give me a rating or something like that. But without any further ado, I'll jump straight in. Okay, so we're gonna talk about intentions and behaviors and habits to start with. And the first concept that we need to get across is the intention behavior gap. Essentially, people have an intent. It's what they say they want to do, what they think they are doing. And there's a gap between that and their behavior, what they actually do. So there's a really large percentage of intentions that fail to result in a persistent behavior change. And that's been researched. The size of this gap varies, but essentially at least half of the intentions that we have tend to not actually result in a persistent behavior change. So that brings us to the concept of habits. Now, a habit is just something that we do repeatedly without thinking too much about. A lot of our behaviors have to be consciously thought about if we want to do something. And that kind of takes up what I often call cognitive bandwidth. It might not be a large task, but it may be something that just takes up some space in your head. And a lot of what we do every day is this kind of behavior. You know, I often find, for example, when I'm working, I might not have a lot of very difficult tasks. It might just be like a lot of emails that I need to respond to. Uh, or when I say they're not difficult, they don't take a lot of time. It might take me, you know, five or 10 minutes to get through quite a few emails. But the amount of cognitive burden and the amount of thinking I have to do and the space it takes up in my head is pretty significant. And a lot of our behaviors are like this. Uh, they just take sort of willpower, motivation and effort for us to deal with. But if we repeat a behavior long enough, then that behavior starts to become more automatic. It starts to happen subconsciously and habits become stronger the more they are repeated. Studies have estimated that something like 40% or more of our daily behavior is habitual. We don't think about it at all. So it's interesting stuff. And, and one of the most interesting things I think about habits is that a habit is something that we do repeatedly without thinking, but it might initially start by doing something that is inherently rewarding. But once we've formed a habit, we keep repeating a behavior, even though it doesn't actually reward us anymore. So there's sort of three critical aspects of a habit. The first is that it involves regular repetition of a behavior. I think we all understand that. The second part is that it's an automatic response to a certain cue or a certain context. And one of the examples that uh, Dr. Davis uses in, in this evidence-based book is flushing the toilet, right? If you go in and you use the toilet, you automatically reach for where the flusher is. And if you were to use an unfamiliar bathroom, you probably still reach for the same spot using the same hand as you normally do at home, but it might not be there. So you get this automatic response to a certain cue or a certain context. Now, the third and most critical part of a habit, I think, is that it's indifferent to the outcome of the behavior. So ideally, we want to be involved in behaviors that are positive or benefiting us or moving us towards our goals. But if we have habit, it may be doing that or it may actually not be moving us closer to our goals. It may be a negative habit or a negative behavior that we engage in automatically. 
So habits will initially develop because we're getting a reward or it allows us to avoid something negative. So a habit could be rewarding, could be just simply avoiding something negative. So like anything else in life, there are benefits and drawbacks to habits. There are pros and cons. Some of the benefits include a few of the things I mentioned. You can free up this cognitive bandwidth and just kind of do things automatically without thinking about them. It makes certain tasks really easy to repeat without variation. So you can be much more consistent, which is often a good thing when we're dieting and training, right? It means you don't have to rely on motivation or willpower because if you're doing things more or less automatically, then you don't really have to be motivated to do it. You don't have to exert willpower to do it. It just kind of happens. It allows you the presence of mind to focus on a task, which means you're not thinking about how you're executing a task or anything like that so much. You're just kind of doing it and you can really focus on any details much more easily. And it can precipitate positive emotions. Uh, you know, it feels good sometimes when you repeat a habit, but there are also drawbacks of habits in the same way that certain tasks can be sort of automated and repeated without variation. Um, something, sometimes that's a bad thing, you know, so it makes certain tasks easy to repeat without variation, which is also sometimes not a good thing. Um, you know, smoking or uh, eating a certain food might be one of those things. It also circumvents deliberate behavior. Sometimes you just act automatically without necessarily really wanting to engage in that kind of behavior. It can precipitate negative emotions. If you fall back into old habits that aren't serving you, it can make you feel bad about that. Um, probably the worst thing about a habit is that it requires a big investment of effort to alter or break it. And so that kind of brings me to maybe talking a little bit more about willpower. I want to first iterate that willpower is, is really complex and it's kind of like other emotions in that it waxes and wanes. It has its high points, its intense points, and its low points as well. There are going to be times where we feel a lot of willpower, and there are times where we have very little willpower and everything in between. The same way with any other emotion, you know, for example, happiness uh, or, or sort of elation or joy. Sometimes we feel on top of the world. Sometimes we feel really down. Most of the time we're kind of in between. We're in the middle. And it's kind of the same with willpower as well. It's going to be affected by things like motivation, uh, by the rewards you get, by belief in what you're doing, all of those sort of things. But I guess the key point about willpower is that because it waxes and wanes and because it's variable, it's affected by outside forces, we can't rely on willpower exclusively to get us towards our goals. It's just not going to work. And I think that's where habits can really come into play because it means we don't have to rely on motivation or willpower to be able to achieve what we want to achieve and do what we need to do. However, one of the drawbacks of habits, of course, is that it requires a lot of effort to alter or break or modify a habit. And that means that sometimes our investment of willpower has to be quite high to start with. But once we have invested that willpower and we've done what we can, um, you know, it might take two or three weeks or whatever it is. And then we kind of end up reinforcing this habit and it becomes easier and easier and easier. So it just takes a bit of time to break the momentum or break the inertia, I should say, and build momentum. Uh, and then we can be off and away. So for habits and seeking goals, we can have goal-directed behavior that clashes with habits, um, but consciously seeking an outcome is a little bit different to being on habitual autopilot. So we want to form habits that lead us to our goals. And I suppose the next thing we'll start talking about then is what exactly we should be thinking about when it comes to goals. Okay, so goals. First, we need to come up with a goal in the first place. Goals have to be realistic and they have to be personal. 
and then we need to know how to get to the goal, which is going to involve analyzing the behaviors required to move us in that direction. And of course, analyzing the behaviors that are currently keeping us from our goals. Now, before I get too much into it, I want to talk about a concept called self-efficacy. I'm going to read a definition here. Self-efficacy is the belief in one's capabilities to organize and execute the courses of action required to manage prospective situations. And essentially what that means is that self-efficacy is the confidence you have in yourself that you can deal with whatever situation comes your way. And it's associated with greater well-being and it predicts success in the literature. Uh, it involves less stress, it involves more resilience to failure, and it creates this sort of upward spiral or snowball effect. It's basically self-reinforcing. So if you have self-belief in your self-efficacy, you experience more resilience to failure and less stress. Uh, it basically means that even if you do suffer setbacks or failures, you kind of take them in your stride and you can create this snowball effect. Uh, and so that's why it's really important to set goals correctly, because if you can manage that, it means you can bolster your self-efficacy, your belief in yourself, your belief in being able to handle any future challenges. And that just kind of gets a bit of a roll on and it builds and builds and builds. And then you start to feel really, really capable. So keep that in mind as we go through this next little section on goals. I'm going to sort of begin with the goal setting stuff with talking about the types of goals we can have because this is really key. We have outcome goals, which is the ultimate thing you want to achieve. We then have learning goals or process goals. These are goals that improve your understanding of a topic. And these need to become, these need to come before outcome goals if you lack knowledge. So if you're someone who wants to, for example, achieve weight loss, but you don't know anything about weight loss, or even maybe you do know something, but uh, what you've tried before hasn't really worked and you're not sure where you're going wrong, your initial goals should probably be more centered around learning or process goals, meaning you're trying to improve your understanding of what's required to get you where you need to go. Then we have a third type of goal called behavior goals. And this has a couple of subtypes. We have an approach goal, which is a focus on adding behaviors to your current lifestyle. And then we also have avoidance goals, which is a focus on removing behaviors. And often these work a little bit better with beginners. So we might remove some negative things rather than trying to add in more to do. You kind of take away things a little bit. Okay, so with goals, we need to start thinking about our motivation for the goal. Uh, we obviously have intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. An intrinsic goal would be something that aligns with your own personal values. It's something that's interesting. It's engaging to you. And if you have a goal that's intrinsic in nature, you're going to have a higher chance of success. It's going to feel better when you achieve your goals. Contrast this with an external or an extrinsically motivated goal. It's a focus on seeking external rewards like uh, social recognition, money, fame, sex appeal, that kind of thing. Um, it may also focus on avoiding negative consequences, uh, you know, like, I don't know, avoiding health problems or something like that, or avoiding being bullied or something like that. And the issue with an extrinsic goal is that it can rob you of the positive feelings that you get from intrinsic motivation. When you achieve something that is sort of intrinsically motivated, you just feel so much better when you achieve that goal. Whereas focusing on an extrinsic goal tends to not feel quite as good. 
So that doesn't mean that we shouldn't ever focus on intrinsically motivated goals, but we can take an extrinsic orientation type of goal and we can reframe it to be a little bit more intrinsically motivated. So for example, you could say, well, uh, I want to lose weight so that the opposite sex or maybe the same sex finds me attractive, um, which is very extrinsically motivated and it can work, but if we reframe that, it becomes much more empowering. If we reframe this to be a bit more intrinsically motivated, you might say to yourself, well, I really value feeling confident in myself and in my body and being at a healthy weight is part of that. And that's what's motivating me as opposed to, I wanna lose weight so that other people find me more attractive. So often this will involve combining sort of intrinsic values and extrinsic goals together. But I really encourage you that if you have some kind of extrinsic goal, like maybe it's lifting a certain amount of weight, building a certain amount of muscle, looking a certain way, whatever it is, if you just kind of stop and have a think about what, what that means to you and why you might be intrinsically motivated to achieve that, it can really, really help a lot. And sometimes it actually changes your viewpoint of why you're chasing the goal you're chasing. I've had a lot of people come to me saying like, hey, I want to lose body fat. I want to be lean and muscular and this sort of thing. And we have gone through these exercises and reframed it to them saying things like, I want to feel confident in myself. I want to feel capable in my body. And interestingly, the amount of people who then pursue an aggressive like fat loss goal tends to change because ultimately you don't necessarily have to lose fat to feel confident in yourself or capable in your body. Maybe it would involve getting stronger or trying new things or being more physically active in general or whatever it is. So it's quite an interesting little process to go through. Now that has to be personal. So we have to make goals personal. Personal preference has to come before social norms. Some people are gonna find that their social circle has a particular standard for them. So I'll give you an example. As someone who's been in the fitness industry and involved in personal training and all this sort of stuff for 13 or 14 years now, you know, my social circle has a certain concept of what lean and muscular looks like. You know, compared to the average person, uh, I would be extremely lean and muscular, but if I'm comparing it to a lot of my contemporaries, I'm kind of average. I'm not nothing special, right? Um, same thing with social media. If you all you do is follow really, really strong powerlifters, all of a sudden, you know, uh, deadlifting 200 kilograms seems really, really average, whereas compared to the average population, it's incredibly strong. Uh, and then of course, you know, advertising in traditional media as well. So you have to kind of think about what is your personal preference and how does that compare to social norms? And are you really oriented in such a way that uh, aligns with your personal values, your personal beliefs and your personal interests and passions as opposed to what your social circle thinks, what, what you see on social media and that sort of thing. And it may actually mean that, you know, you start to curate your social media and your general media exposure a little bit more. Okay, so that's a lot of preface. What exactly do you do now? What's the starting point for setting a goal? First, you have to kind of understand and do a bit of a self-evaluation of how experienced you are in this area and how much knowledge you have, because this is going to influence the type of goal that you set. Remember, I spoke about having a sort of habit or an outcome-oriented goal before versus more of a learning goal. Now, if you're someone who is experienced and you know what you're doing, then studies indicate that avoidance goals where you're trying to remove behaviors tends to not work as well. You tend to get worse outcomes, a bit more stress and decreased well-being. But if you're new to an area or your knowledge is still growing or you know maybe you need to learn a little bit more to really 
come up with a good outcome goal, then it's better to start with something that is a bit of a vague outcome goal. Um, just might be in general, oh, I just want to look better or I want to improve my body composition or something like that without being too specific. Or even better, you can come up with learning goals. Okay, for the next blah, 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 I'm going to learn more about the best ways to build muscle or something like that. And that can be your initial goal. So from there, I think the, the sort of SMART framework works reasonably well. Uh, if you're experienced in your goal area, it, it works particularly well. I think for beginners, having a sort of SMART goal is not the best thing. Like I just mentioned, I think having a vague outcome goal is perfectly fine. Just something to aim at while you learn a bit more about what you're supposed to be doing. If you're reasonably experienced and you kind of know the direction you need to head in, then having a SMART goal is helpful. Now, a SMART goal, if you haven't heard of it, I'm sure you have, is a specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-limited goal. So it's got to be specific. I want to lose five kilograms. It's got to be measurable. I'm going to weigh myself. Um, you can find other ways to quantify progress. So if, you, if it's a weight-oriented thing, you might use a couple of different measurements. I quite like that, where you, you, know, you weigh yourself, plus you use pictures, um, plus you use how well your clothes are fitting or something like that. It's got to be attainable, so it's got to be realistic. It's got to be relevant to you. So remember, thinking back to, is this actually aligning with my intrinsic values? And it's got to be time limited. So I want to lose five kilos in 12 weeks, something like that. Once you've got that, you want to start identifying obstacles, which means we're going to kind of simulate and plan ahead what might happen. And we're going to minimize obstacles ahead of time. So what I often try to do is go, okay, cool. This is my goal or this is what I'm trying to achieve. What might happen along the way that could be a potential hurdle? And how am I going to deal with that when it happens? This helps you to just plan things ahead to be a little bit removed from the emotional or social pressure of that situation and to come up with some easy solutions ahead of time. So some common obstacles you're going to come across with any goal is something like a time constraint. Uh, maybe you say I want to lose five kilos in 12 weeks, but then you get sick or injured or something happens like you can't go to the gym with Corona or something like that. Uh, and now all of a sudden your your time is like much less or, you know, you get a lot busier at work and you can't get to the gym as much or something like that. Other responsibilities like family or work, unexpected costs, um, limitations of knowledge, life events, uh, conflicts of goals, social pressure, all of these things can be common obstacles that you need to think about. So the best way to deal with obstacles is really just to anticipate them where possible. And of course, if you have anything that happens that's unforeseen, because no doubt there are things that you're not gonna think about, then it's usually wisest to just sit down and revise your goals if necessary. Sometimes it means you're gonna change the timeline or any of those variables in the smart sort of layout, but, uh, you know, sometimes it's going to just be like, okay, cool. Well, it's just going to be a little bit harder, but I can keep my current layout as it is. Sometimes it's going to be like, okay, I'm going to reevaluate this. And instead of saying five kilos in 12 weeks, I'm going to do three kilos in 12 weeks, or I'm going to do five kilos in 16 weeks or something like that. Whenever you're doing this, you need to think about the trade-offs and the opportunity cost that comes along with setting a goal. Essentially for every decision we make, there are costs and there are benefits. So you need to do this cost benefit analysis to everything. It doesn't mean that anything is necessarily right or wrong. It's just that there are certain costs and certain benefits to every decision. And we have to try and make our decisions with full knowledge of those. So sometimes there isn't a right or wrong choice, but you have to be mindful of these trade-offs and that helps us to make better choices that move us in the direction of our goals. Now, there's no achievement without sacrifice. So you might go, okay, um, there's a cost to trying to lose 
body weight at the moment. It might mean that I can I don't uh, I can't be a social. I have to start weighing my food. Um, I have to eat things that maybe I don't want to eat as much of. But you have to remember as well that trying to be perfect is not really achievable. Perfection is the enemy of progress. So once we write out what will have to be done to reach our goal, we want to choose a target that would result from perfect adherence. So let's say you figured out, okay, if I have no hurdles, everything goes as perfectly as it possibly could, what would I be able to achieve? In what timeline? Blah, blah, blah. Then you want to try and think about the potential hurdles that you will face and start to take down your perfect target from there. So let's say I decided that in 12 weeks, if everything went absolutely perfectly, I stuck to my plan perfectly. There were no external hurdles that I, I didn't see coming. I dealt with everything perfectly. I could lose, you know, eight kilos in 12 weeks. Okay, cool. Now I figure out, okay, well, there are going to be some hurdles coming up. I know that, you know, my birthday's in a month and, you know, maybe my friends want to go out and celebrate uh, one of their birthdays. And maybe I have some days where I have a tough day at work and I just want to eat a little bit more, or maybe I get sick and I can't go to the gym. Okay. So let me just revise down my perfect goal. Everything going perfectly of eight kilos in 12 weeks to maybe a little bit more of a realistic one. Uh, and that's going to be five kilos in 12 weeks. So in other words, you're kind of just taking into account the fact that you're not going to be perfect throughout that time. Things are not always going to go to plan. And you want to give yourself a bit of a margin for error. Now, if you end up, you know, getting more than five kilos over 12 weeks, cool, that's great. Um, but if you don't, you know, it's probably realistic that you won't quite get to your absolutely perfect uh, situation. And so you just have to account for that. Now, I don't want this podcast to be too long. So the next thing we're going to talk about is a little bit of how to break down goals. And then I think I might make a second podcast if people like this one. So definitely let me know what you think. Uh, so I want to talk about the concept of chunking to start with. And chunking is this concept that is really fundamental to learning. Uh, you don't learn like a, a language or an instrument or a new skill overnight. You just learn it bit by bit, right? You might start if you're learning guitar or something, you know, you're going to learn maybe the different parts of the guitar and then you're going to learn what the names of the different strings are. And then you're going to learn a few basic notes and then you're going to start to put them together into a few basic chords. And then you're going to put those together into a basic song and then you can start to do more complex stuff from there. Um, so that same concept of sort of chunking together uh, concepts works pretty well with goals as well. You probably already do this with large projects like at work or something. It just gets divided into smaller subtasks. So you definitely want to do that with your goals as well. Chunking a goal involves breaking down the specific outcomes that you want, the behavioral changes that need to happen and the learning goals into baby steps. Okay, so I'm going to pull a an example out of evidence-based habit building by Melissa Davis, the book I've been speaking about. And the example that she gives on page 56 of the book is having a general outcome goal of being healthy. That's my general outcome. Uh, I just wanna be healthy. Okay, uh, what is the general behavior goal that I have then that's needed? So I have this outcome of wanting to be healthy. What's the behavior goal that I need there? Well, I have to eat well and I have to exercise. Okay, cool. So what's my specific outcome goal from my general outcome goal? My, my general outcome goal is to be healthy. My specific outcome that I focused on, what does being healthy mean? It means having lower cholesterol, a strong heart, and feeling energetic. 
Okay, so how can I break those down? Well, I can incrementally improve my cholesterol, I could improve my heart rate, and I could improve my energy level bit by bit. So the behaviors that I need to engage in then to be healthy is to eat well and exercise. To have lower cholesterol and a strong heart and to feel energetic, uh, I can break that down. What does that actually mean? It means maybe eating more fiber, it means eating less unhealthy fats, it means exercising regularly. And to break that down even further, if I want to incrementally improve my cholesterol levels, my heart rate and my energy level, I can then break that down into um, taking those small steps to eating more fiber and less unhealthy fats. Maybe it means, okay, with breakfast every morning, I'm going to add a supplemental fiber source. Maybe it means I'm going to swap out my um, saturated fats for unsaturated fats. Like I'm going to cook with more olive oil or something like that. Uh, I'm going to exercise at least three times a week. So you can start to break things down a little bit and you can see how then those kind of build up into the, the main goal. So what we're trying to do is come up with these sort of broken down uh, goals. Now within that, we can have some sub goals. And uh, as far as sub goals go, there's a few things we wanna talk about. There are distal and proximal goals. So you can kind of see how when I broke down the previous example, um, some of the sort of general behaviors that we talked about, I want to be healthy and therefore I need to eat well and exercise. I mean, that's like a lifelong thing, right? But if I go down a step and I go, okay, well, being healthy means having lower cholesterol, a strong heart and feeling energetic. Well, that means eating more fiber and less unhealthy fats and exercising regularly. Okay, that's on a little bit more of a, a closer timeline. But if I break that down even further, I mentioned you know, adding fiber to breakfast, um, exercising at least three times a week. That's a really proximal goal. It's a daily or weekly task that I need to engage in to achieve my larger goals. And ultimately, if all I ever did was just focus on what I needed to do today or tomorrow or this week in terms of like, okay, I need to add some fiber to my breakfast. I need to train three times a week. Uh, I need to go for a walk every day. Those proximal goals, those sort of daily or weekly tasks end up moving me towards my ultimate goal of simply being healthy by eating well and exercising. I don't even have to think about that, to be honest. All I'm doing is focusing on these proximal things. So you can have a distal or a proximal sub goal. And I think those focusing on those proximal goals or what we often call the process oriented goals tend to be really, really effective. Now, some data suggests that having a specific proximal goal and working forwards is more effective than working back from a distal goal. So what you can do is what I just described. You can have a vague distal goal I want to be healthy. That's super vague, right? That could mean a million different things. It could mean you're an alcoholic and you wanna stop drinking alcohol. It could mean that you're currently already pretty healthy, but you just wanna maintain your health. It could mean that you wanna just avoid having a heart attack later in your life. It could mean that you wanna be lean and shredded for the rest of your life. You could be 20 years old or you could be 50 years old. You know, it's so vague, but there's nothing wrong with that. Having a vague distal goal is fine as long as your proximal sub goals are specific. For example, I need to eat fiber with breakfast every morning. I need to go to the gym three times a week. I need to walk every day. So specific proximal goals are really, really helpful. Um, and, and what they often involve is these sort of gradual changes over time. And they tend to work better than these really large abrupt changes. Okay, now what happens if you're completely new to something? and you kind of don't really know what to do or what changes to make, or you're not really sure how it's gonna work out, just start with some exposure. 
So this gives you a basic framework from which you can start asking questions and seeking answers. In other words, creating learning goals. It just means that you can kind of try something. You can see what it's like. You can see how it works. You can start to go, well, I'm not really sure how much fiber I should be having or what type of fats I should be eating. Okay, cool. Well, now you've just created some learning goals. So your goal for the next week could be, okay, I'm going to read up on what types of fiber are best. I'm going to learn a bit more about fats and how I can swap around fats in my diet to see which ones are healthier for me. Things like that. With all this said, what we want to do is limit our goals. So I think at this point, a lot of people start getting really excited and they start going, cool, I can use this framework for my work, for my fitness, for my personal life, for my finances, all this sort of stuff. But we have cognitive limits on how much behavior change we can tackle at once. And so I think the best way to move forward is to really assess how big your goals are and start to rank them in priority. And I'd really just focus on a small number at once. Um, that that's that's pretty key. So once you've got a sort of little priority list, I mean, certainly start by writing down everything that you'd like to achieve, but then prioritizing them is is really, really important. And I'd focus on a small number at once just to make sure that it's manageable. Remember that once you start developing habits, it becomes much easier to then just put that on autopilot and sort of turn your focus somewhere else. And your priorities are, are probably going to change throughout your life, right? The, the next thing we want to do is once we've got all of our goals down is actually eliminate or even periodize in the same way that we would periodize training our conflicting goals. You can have focused faces phases of specific goals. So to give an example, you might have a goal that you want to work more on your social life. You want to spend more time with your friends. You want to explore all the cool food places or cocktail bars that your city has to offer. Um, but at the same time, you also have a goal of you know getting really fit and getting in shape and feeling confident in your body for summer or something like that. So those are potentially conflicting goals. And so what you can do is you can write those down and go, okay, well, which one is the priority for me? And maybe right now, because summer's coming up, I'm gonna focus on the sort of body composition, feeling good and confident for summer goal. And then after that, uh, once I've sort of squared away most of my behaviors there, I can start to focus a little bit more on the social side of things during summer or something like that. So that's just one quick example of how you might be able to do things. Okay, so this has been going a little over half an hour now, and I don't want to overload you too much. Um, so let me know if you enjoyed this episode. Certainly give it a share and tag me on social media so I can say thanks. Give me a quick rating if you feel like it. Uh, hopefully a good one. And I will probably make a part two, depending on how much people get out of this. All right, thanks for listening, and I'll chat to you soon.